season number two, episode number six, One Goal in My Own Podcast, Just with Dallas Angeles, as always. We got Lucy Schaefer to my left. And also to my left, we got a, let's just say it took him long enough. We got Max Menemeyer in the building. Yeah, I would say that I'm the rookie and the bad. <laughs> oh, we both <laughs> drank right off the bat. Yeah, yeah, we're going in hard today. I mean, for those of you that don't know, um, I'm a senior. It's my last semester, about to have my last class tomorrow, and I finally made it into the One Golden Moment podcast here at episode six. We're happy to have you. Yeah, it's good to be here finally. I've been covering the sport the the whole season, but just, just got in at the last second here in the last month um, of the regular season here for the podcast. Would you say that this is your one golden moment? Heyo, tagline. I would say that this is my first golden moment. Hopefully I'm in episode episode seven and some subsequent episodes as well into the postseason. But uh, this is definitely my first golden moment. And then uh, Joey Patton, a.k.a. Jose Patron, is not with us today, unfortunately. Not with us physically, but always in spirit. We got to get all four of us in the studio eventually. We did it a lot with basketball. We got to get us all in here eventually. I think, you know. I feel like next week is our week. It's got to be. I feel like if it was ever yeah. going to happen, it's going to be next week. Yeah, dead week. Yeah. You got no excuses now. Yep, no classes, no nothing. I, I had my last class I was just today. about to say, this is your last. I had my last class ever today. Yeah, How does it? Congratulations. We got to hit you with the, you know, in, you know, a lot of sports journalists, they hit you with the, the talkabouts, like talk about this instead of asking an actual question. So I'm going to hit you with a talk about real quick. Talk about how it feels to finally be done with classes at uh, the number one public use institution in the United States. Thank you very much. <laughs> I feel like it wrapped up in a really kind of perfect way because I was in this kind of small class. That was my last class. And the professor had us do this thing where we all stood in a circle and we said what we're grateful for about the class. Oh my God. And everybody who was graduating or whose last class ever it was said that and people like cheered for them and it felt just like a very momentous end to it. Um, I called my mom after too and she said I was making her feel old, but she sounded really emotional. It was really sweet. So um, I'm the first kid in the family to be graduating from college. So I think this is a bit of more of a shock, maybe even for my parents than me, but. Shot Town yeah, represent. Congratulations. Thank you. And Max, while, and while it's, uh, while you haven't gotten your last class yet, you still at the end, you still got two more to go tomorrow. You know, even though you're not there yet, you know, just what's going through your mind right now? Talk about what's going through your mind right now. I feel like the nostalgia hit me early this semester, so now I'm just, I'm ready. Uh, tomorrow's going to be a big class full of seniors that, you know, we're pretty much all seniors in that class, so it'll be a nice senior send-off there. It'll be a Friday, so it'll actually be the end of the week. Um, but I am jealous of you not getting off on a Thursday night um, here in Berkeley. But it'll be good, you know. It'll, I'm sure it'll sink in more as dead week goes along and finals week. And when I graduate, it's going to feel really weird. But, you know. I think we got a lot of we got people celebrating outside this classroom right now. I hear, I'm hearing some drums. I think they're ready to get it cracking. I think they're ready to get this going. And then as for me, I still got, you know, I got basically all of next year. I'm doubling. I still got seven classes left. I, I will say, though, I am thinking, you know, maybe take a – Take a course in the summer, maybe take two in the summer. So then I only have five going in the semester. Take four in the fall, one in the spring. Run it back, editors with Josh in 2020, spring 2020, potentially. I support that. Back. Yeah, that'll be a dynamic duo right there. 
and then Christy's Christy went Hollywood on us. She's about to graduate. In, she's gonna be done with classes in fall 2019. So she's finna walk in the spring, but it's still, you know, she's going a little Hollywood. I'm gonna have to take my first like media <laughs> studies class without her since like, actually, I've never not taken a class a media studies class without Christy. That's kind of crazy wow. to think about actually. So I've never had a buddy like that for my major classes. Yeah. I had a media studies but media studies buddy for a while. Media studies represent, by the way. Media studies represent. <laughs> shout out. But I think we could reminisce on you know our times at Cal. But you know, we got some baseball to talk about. And as always, we like to you know before getting into you know the big picture, we like to give a little rundown of what happened. So a little LGI, let's get it. Uh, Cal is currently 24 and 15 on the season, 10 and 8 in conference play, fifth place in the Pac-12. They've won 13 of its last 17 games and moved up to number 41 in the RPI. That's definitely something we're gonna get into a little bit later. And Lucy, you actually made that the the subject of your last recap, sort of this how it's sort of become this buzzword around the team now. Yeah. Um... I felt like in the start of the season, I wasn't hearing anything about. RPI or rankings at all and I think it was because Cal was kind of still getting their feet wet on the season they really couldn't they didn't want to try to make predictions about what was going to happen with the young team but as they kind of move forward and happen to have some great success against ranked teams they were able to kind of finally push and really make that big jump from I think it was 64 to 44 after the UCLA series in RPI and has been kind of inching up from there but I just thought it was really interesting how that has just popped into everybody's minds as soon as they realize that Cal has a has a chance at regionals and how important that stat is for the selection. And we're going to get into selection and regionals you know once we really run through this recap so to get into the recap uh, game number one the Friday game Cal defeats Oregon eight to seven and you know, we were talking about it before we recorded that this is kind of one of those games that, you know, it only really happens when you're on a playoff team or you're having that really magical year. So going to the top of the seventh, Cal has a 7-3 lead. And, you know, this entire season they've been very excellent at home. I think as of, you know, today, they're currently 14-4 at home. So going with a lead uh, that late into the game, you would expect they really have that one in the bag, but that is not the case. And, you know, me and Joey really talked about the lack of bullpen depth in the last podcast, and that's something that we really saw here in this first Oregon game. Uh, Sean Sullivan, someone that's new, has really had to rely on this season, gives up four earned runs in an inning of a third, three hits, one of which was a home run. And, you know, Oregon takes that 7-3 lead. But, you know, as we mentioned, you know, to say that this is one of those games you remember there, we're not going to be talking about a loss now, are we? So heading into that bottom of the ninth, Cal's trailing by one. Quentin Selma hits a home run to tie the game. Corey Lee hits a home run to win the game. If you're hearing the little introduction, the, that call, that was from Corey Lee's walk-off. And, you know, this is a game that I want to talk about a little more in depth once we cover the rest of these games. Uh, game number two, and the good times really carry on to that second game as Cal defeats Oregon 10-5 to to clinch the series victory. And for the fourth consecutive week, say it with me, it's the Jared Horn Show. Uh, I actually I tried to look up the last time a Cal pitcher had four consecutive starts of eight innings pitched, and I couldn't find it. Now, granted, it's a little more difficult to find like these baseball stats than basketball stats, but I can't imagine that it's been too many times that that has happened. And I'll have to hit up uh, Joe about that one. Uh, Horn goes to eight innings, allows four runs, only two of which were earned, walks one, strikes out eight. 
ERA on the season is now 1.71, and during this four-game stretch in particular, his ERA is at 1.40. Uh, another fantastic day for the offense as well. Everyone who got in that bat had at least one hit. Uh, game number three, though, Cal couldn't quite finish up the sweep. Oregon defeats Cal 12-4, and if you allow 12 runs, it's not going to be a great day for the pitching staff. Grant Holman got the start, and you know he pitched four and two-thirds inning, allows six earned runs. And if you're just looking at that final line, you're thinking, oh, he, he was getting lit up pretty tough, and he did, but it's you know one of those deceiving-ish games because all of those runs came in the top of the fifth inning. You know, Holman started at that game. He retired the first eight batters in order. The first four innings only allowed one hit, one walk, no runs. And then that fifth inning, all hell kind of breaks loose. Oregon sends 11 batters to the plate, seven runs score. In that fifth inning alone, Holman allows all six earned runs, hits two batters, walks one, only allows two hits, strangely enough. Uh, Holman managed to get two outs before being pulled in favor of Nick Proctor, who... Uh, the very first pitch that he throws allows a grand slam for his uh, earned run. Oregon tacks on a couple more runs in the sixth, a couple more runs in the seventh, and really puts that game away. And the bats were pretty silent, wasn't really in the cards for them to win this one. Uh, but despite that loss, Cal manages to, they still took two out of three from Oregon, and they took all of the positive energy from that series and you know capped off their extended weekend with a Monday win over number 25 BYU. After not pitching on Friday, I believe Lucy was due to an illness. That's what I heard. Yeah, Sam Stottenborough gets his first actual start. No more of the uh, Sabori to Stottenborough. He just gets the outright start there. And he pitched fantastic in his, his first actual start, especially considering it was against a ranked team. Uh, five and a third innings only allows two earned runs, didn't walk a single batter. And then from there, it was up to the bullpen. And... You know, as we saw with the bullpen in game one, that's really an area of concern, and it's kind of this mixed bag of you never really know what you're going to get. And the bullpen came up big. Sean Sullivan, after that really bad outing on Friday, giving up the four earned runs, he go he doesn't allow a single run. Rahelio Reyes doesn't allow a single run. The very seldom used Carson Olsen, who hasn't pitched since the Long Beach <laughs> State Series, doesn't give up an, a, a single run. And then Sabori comes in, slams the door in the ninth, Sullivan, Reyes, Olsen, and Sabori, they would combine to pitch three and two-thirds innings, one hit, no walks, no runs, and it was a stark contrast to what we've seen over, you know, the, if we go as short back as the Friday game and if we extrapolate it back to the entirety of this year, and I think this is a really good place to start in terms of the macro, and we can start with the bullpen, and suffice it to say, it was a really mixed bag. Uh, for this bullpen, you know we have the really good starting. We have the really good combination of efforts on BYU, the three and two thirds scoreless innings. But then they nearly blow the game on Monday or Friday, rather. Uh, Sunday isn't all that well. So I guess the question that I sort of have here is, you know, what can we really make of this bullpen at this point in time? Is is the BYU case more of an outlier or? Can we expect to see sort of a combination of what happened on Friday and Monday? Is that sort of where we're at at this point in time? Well, I think we forget with how well Cal has played and how well guys like Sullivan and Stoutenborough have been throughout the season, how young this pitching staff really is. Um, really the kind of the elder statesmen in the rotation are Sabori and Jared Horn. And we've never really expected Jared Horn to be pitching this well coming back from appendectomy. He was up and down in his last couple years. But 
I think we're still going to get some games that, you know, they might allow a few runs, whether or not they blow a lead, uh, because they are so young and inexperienced. But I think the talent is there, and that's what you saw in the BYU game as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, in a sense, the BYU game was an outlier because they used pitchers like Reyes and like Sabori, who are weekend pitchers, um, from the bullpen to finish that game off. Um, and so I think that those stats on that game don't really surprise me that much. Um, I feel less confident about the relief pitchers from Saturday and Sunday, and I think one issue that made me really nervous was the amount of free base runners that they allowed. Um, you know, on, on Sunday, I think they allowed a total 10 free base runners five walks, five hit by pitches. Um, and I think we saw even a little bit of that at the very end of the ninth inning on Saturday's game where they pulled Horn off the mound, put Heinrichsen in, um, and then put Jack Delmore in. Them two alone were needed to get the last three outs on Saturday, um, which is a bit concerning. And that the free base runner issue is a concern that Mike knew also spoke with me about when I talked to him after the BYU game and so I think um, I think that explains a little better what what was happening for BYU versus the weekend games and we can sort of talk about it in terms of you know who's the real core of this pitching staff and then the quote-unquote you know other guys uh, in terms of the core you know you have Horn, Sabori, Reyes, Stottenborough and then even as of the last couple of weeks you've had Holman who you know, he did pitch the four, um, four and two-thirds innings on uh, Saturday, or Sunday rather, before really getting lit up. And, you know, there's that idea that these guys can only eat up a certain amount of innings before you have to really go in, into the bullpen. And if it's a, you know, if this is just a single elimination, we need to put our best guys on the mound in order to win this game. You know, you can throw out, you know, some combination of Horn, you know, Sabori, Stottenborough, Reyes, if, you, if that's just one game. But, you know, as you sort of talk about the, uh, the possibility of tournament contention, this is what I really see as this team's real Achilles heel. And, you know, just to read off some of uh, the relief appearances from this past weekend, you, had, you know, Sean Sullivan on that Friday game allows four earned runs in an inning of a third of work. Connor Oswald, who last uh, podcast we mentioned made his debut, he faces two batters, walks one, hits the other. Uh, in that second game, Jack Heinrichsen, he pitches two-thirds of an inning, but walks three batters, can't manage to finish off the ninth in that one. And in game three, a lot of uh, bad stat lines all around. You know, Nick Proctor, an inning of work, three earned runs. Uh, Lucas Gaither, an inning of work, two earned runs. And then Jack Volger, you know, he did pitch two and a third innings, but it did allow the five hits. And so that's about, and if you want to include Rogelio Reyes as well, not necessarily one of those quote-unquote, you know, younger players, but you know, three innings of work and did allow the three earned runs, albeit he did strike out six. So if we're talking about you know, a single game, we have to win this game, I think Cal has the guys to just throw, it out, throw them all out there on the mound. But if we're talking about you know, trying to make an extended run, I think this is an issue at some point needs to be addressed. And I think it's beautiful timing actually that they have Utah and San Francisco right before they go into this gauntlet of Stanford, Arizona State, and Washington because now because you know we can talk about this more when we get into the Utah the Utah preview, but Utah doesn't really have an elite pitching staff and 
you're maybe looking at a weekend here where you just tell the offense, go get us as many runs as possible, and we're just going to get these guys the opportunity to pitch and get some fresh arms out there and really get you know a rhythm going for these guys. Yeah, and that's the main thing, I think, is you know this weekend we saw a lot of names that we don't normally see weekend in and weekend out. And that's hard for anybody, however good they are. You know, just not being in that rhythm, not coming in in certain situations, kind of have to feel it out as you go. And you mentioned it, that's that's the problem when you get into double elimination style series with the Pac-12 tournament or regionals or, you know, super regionals, best two out of three. Uh, those are the guys that are going to have to pitch in some tough spots um, in, you know, down the wire if, if they are to advance in the postseason. Yeah, and I think adding on to that, I think – it's definitely going to become increasingly clear that the offense is going to have to carry a lot of the weight if they're going to continue to support a really varied performance, I guess, by the relief pitchers. Um, And putting all that pressure on the offense to just go get runs, get as many runs as possible, it really doesn't – it creates a situation kind of of imbalance on the team where you have to, the only chance that you really have if you're gonna try to sweep or something like that is hoping that the offense can put together some double digit amount of runs every single game, which I think is a lot of pressure to put on them. Um, it's also so something that's, that's not really sustainable either. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, especially when you're playing you know, elimination games, like you said, day in and day out. You, know, you might have to play two in a day um, if you're playing in a double elimination style tournament. Um, so that's going to be tough for Cal to figure out. I think they've been lucky so far in that they've sort of been clicking at the same time. So you see game three, I mean, they gave up 12, but Cal only produced four runs, which is relatively low from what we see. So it's almost like the bullpen got it all out in the right day. You know, uh, when they messed up in game one, Cal was able to come back and the lineup kind of saved him in that game. So. I think they've been lucky so far, and it's definitely a problem that they're going to have to look at, you know, if they want to compete with the top four teams in the Pac-12. And I think it's kind of been a blessing and a curse that Jared Horn has been as dominant as he is because, you know, the past four appearances, you know, the relievers have only had to pitch a combined three and two-thirds innings. So, you know, on that Saturday game, you know, there's not really much of an expectation that the bullpen is going to have to work. And... Especially on any game like game two where, you know, there was a really sizable lead. It's a relatively low-pressure situation where, you know, you can just throw whoever out there and, you know, odds are someone's going to get you three outs before the other team is going to get you, what, five, six runs and really tie up that game in the case of Saturday. But as we saw in, like, the case of the UCLA series, you know, Horn had to pitch that dominant in order for them to stay in the game. And, you know, obviously you'd want Horn if – if it was up to him to sustain this run, you know, realistically speaking, it's this is not a sustainable way of pitching just based on how, you know, modern baseball is and just, you know, regressions to the mean, stuff of that nature. And we do have to keep in mind that the eight innings pitched, these are all, you know, some variations of a career high because previously his career high was, I believe, seven. And then he starts by going eight, eight, eight and a third, and then eight again. So I think at some point, you know, on these Saturday games, you know, obviously you'd hope for him to continue, you know, throwing seven, eight, nine innings pitch, but 
you know, maybe somewhere down the line when he begins to, you know, potentially slow up a bit, that's when you see a little more arms having action in that second game of the series. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think you're completely right about that. Um, I was curious, and I asked Mike New about this after the game on Saturday, why? I was like, why didn't you just keep in Horn for the whole game? Why'd you even pull him out in the ninth? Um, and he kind of gave a roundabout answer, but he said, um, you know, um, basically just that his pitch count is, had been really high and they're trying to keep him fresh and they're trying to not tire out his arm. Um, and I think that that they're very conscious of this idea of trying to keep him healthy and that's why they pull him out. It's like three innings, how many more pitches could that be? Who knows? But I think that is New himself trying to grapple with, we, we need him to be pitching as many innings as possible, but if we push him, what, what is the brink to which we can push him before he has some sort of health issue or starts to slow up because he just doesn't have the, the energy anymore. Yeah. And those are a lot of innings to be pitching for still a young guy. I mean, people are so conscious about innings limits in Major League Baseball, and those guys are normally either Jared Horn's age or older. Um, so I think it's very realistic for New to be concerned about that innings limit because, you know, it's something we see commonly in baseball with young guys. It's just not sustainable for them to put that much on their arm, even if you're not, you know, necessarily pitching every fifth day. You have six or seven days rest in college baseball versus Major League Baseball. But, yeah, that's definitely a concern, even more so than a regression to mean. If this is a career year, as it has been thus far, you don't want to spoil it with something um, just because you're riding this guy. You know, he's your innings horse for this season. I guess there's a, you know, potentially a diminishing returns factor as well. Because going in, in that in the case of the Saturday game, Cal had, I believe, a 10-4 or 10-5 lead. I think it was a 10-4 lead going into that uh, top of the ninth inning. And, you know, you kind of, you know, Horn had produced well enough for Cal to just win that game. They could have thrown out any pitcher at that point. And more likely than not, they come out with the win. So it's kind of this idea of is there, you know, while you would like him to finally, you know, after, you know, knocking on the door, potentially getting a complete game, you know, have allow him to have that opportunity to finally pitch that complete game. But, you know, I guess there's a mindset, or I would assume there's a mindset, it's like, hey, is this really worth it? And, you know, in not you know, giving him that opportunity to pitch, you know, really complete the game, I would say New is cognizant of the fact that, okay, you did what you needed to do. This is still a terrific run, regardless of whether you pitch this ninth inning or not. Let's get you out of here. Because a lot of, in these past four games, he's been, you know, in the hundreds, if not hundred tens. Yeah. And, you know, even with the six days of rest, that is, or even, rather seven days, that still is a lot of, you know, pressure on a young arm just in one setting. So I, I feel like that's part of it too. It's just, you know, there's kind of, not to say there's no point in trying to allow him to just finish out the game, but it's this idea that, you know, we have bigger plans than this one game. Let's focus on the big picture. And, you know, especially if you get to a point where they make a deep run in the tournament, maybe it's those, you know, allowing 
someone else to take over that really propels him to be healthy for the entirety of this run instead of having fatigue play as much of a factor come uh, late May and early June. Yeah, and for these inexperienced guys, these guys that we haven't really seen come in a lot, it, there's a difference between pitching in garbage time and then pitching with a lead, no matter how big the lead is. So just easing them into those situations, I think, to your point perfectly, Justice, it's, it's really important for them to kind of feel out different scenarios if they're asked those questions in, in crunch time. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think from a macro perspective, now that I think about it, I feel like this Utah series in a weird way can be, this is gonna sound really weird to say, but the most important series for the rest of this regular season. Because, you know, if we're talking about, you know, having to potentially rely on a lot of young guys, if Cal can get into a position, if the offense can put the pitching staff in a position where they don't have to worry and they can get a lot of, you know, throw in a lot of fresh arms, now you're looking at a situation where going into Stanford and Arizona State and Washington, these guys aren't necessarily being thrown into the fire, but, you know, they've been able to develop a little bit of a rhythm. And I kind of see pitchers akin to like three-point shooters in basketball where you can't really just expect someone to just stand there and then produce. They have to be able to establish a little bit of a rhythm, you know, really feel out their grips, you know, see what's working on a particular day, see what's not. And if they can, you know, string together a good start in relief or a good appearance in relief or two over this weekend, you know, now they're going to be feeling, you know, we talk about this a lot, this sort of, you know, don't know better attitude. Yeah. But if they can have that confidence going into a Stanford game, going into an Arizona State game where, you know, an Arizona State team that has arguably the best hitter in the country not named Andrew Vaughn, I think that's incredible, you know, just to have that little bit of a boost, you know, a little bit of that arrogance, you know, that cockiness heading onto the mound where, you know, it's this idea that I can get anybody out regardless of who I'm going to face because they were able to, you know, establish that confidence, establish that rhythm. Yeah, I think you and I, Justice, talked about this a lot in the early podcasts where we were kind of examining, you know, very early in the season. The pitching staff clearly doesn't know what they're doing. That was when Horn was still out because there was a time in this season when Horn was not pitching these Saturday games. Um, And we were kind of worried for them. And every series at the start of the season, we were – saying that they were kind of treating it as further practice. And I think this past series with Oregon, the kind of shaky relief appearances kind of unveiled this um, false sense of confidence that the pitching staff had gotten um, in the last few series just because Horn had been making his run and they had been able to hang on to some leads or not blow some leads. Um, And I think going back to the kind of sentiment from earlier in the season, like treating every series that you can as further practice for the young pitching staff is going to be really helpful for them. Yeah, Horn coming back is kind of a double-edged sword because now he's kind of, you know, unexpectedly emerged as their ace, you know, kind of their front guy in their rotation who they're going to throw out there in a big game. Um, But, yeah, I think – there is good things to be saying like, you know, okay, we have our guy now. That's our guy. Everyone else kind of fall in line. You know your role. But if he's taking up so much time and you don't necessarily have to 
have as much opportunity to tinker or you're getting later in the season and there's there's not really room if you don't want to fall on RPI or things like that, um, then you kind of limit more of this experimental attitude that they had going in that I think a lot of guys embraced going in. You know, and then, you know, on the on Monday as well, we finally uh, saw, you know, Stottenborough start an actual game. And, you know, it was about the same amount of innings pitch that you typically see out of a Stottenborough start. But I think it does raise an interesting question because now we've seen, you know, at least we've, we've gotten a taste of what he can do just on a traditional start. And we've seen the value of, you know, having Sabori in the bullpen as, you know, he was the one to close out that game. So you had a situation where Sabori and Stottenborough were both pitching in the same game, but instead of there being the opener to long reliever transition, there was the traditional starter, which eventually led into the closer. And I wanted to pose this question to y'all because we've talked about a lot of, you know, rhythm being developed between uh, Sabori and Stottenborough. But now that Stottenborough's gotten that first official start, would you prefer that he becomes a Friday starter outright, or would you want to stick to the Sabori Stottenborough or just kind of see how the season goes? I think that now that it's happened and we've seen, I mean, we have one test example of a Stoutenborough start going well, but um, Stoutenborough seems like he's really, you know, the one time I talked to him, he was like, I'm down to do anything. Like the coaches, they'll just tell me what to do and I'll just do it. I'm just happy I'm even out there. You know, he seems kind of like happy-go-lucky, just wants to be out there, just wants to be, you know, on the mound, doing what he does. Um, and also with that duo, Stoutenborough and Sabori, Sabori never really was a starter. So I think he was maybe feeling a little out of his element and he did perfectly fine in all the times he started. But I think he was never truly in his element in that opener position. And so I am, I'm in full favor of Stoutenborough becoming the starter. I think that's, I think that's the way it should be. Yeah, he's kind of like that classic Cal freshman, you know, coming in doing all the clubs he can, just excited <laughs> to learn. Takes all the flyers and yeah, Sproul. Yeah, yeah, just happy to talk to anyone in Sproul, <laughs> pieing someone on Sproul. But you know, seniors they just put their headphones in and like power walk through Sproul. At least that's the point I'm at now. So, yeah, I think that I think that worked really well for him kind of when they were coming in experimenting with that opener strategy I think his attitude was perfect with that and it's kind of understandable like I mean the opener strategy is not something that they do at the youth level or or really at all um, it's kind of just been introduced experimentally in the majors and uh, yeah I think Sabori who's, who's kind of a, like all baseball players are creatures of habit kind of that would be a little more disruption for him but I agree. I think if Stoutenborough can can eat up some innings, the more innings that these young guys can eat up in good spots, the better for Cal right now. And I did talk to a Sabori about uh, this opener role, and he, he did mention to me that in the summer when he was playing summer ball, he actually did make a couple starts in addition uh, to relief appearances. And if I'm remembering correctly, uh, after the season, after last season when they were like doing exit interviews, he mentioned that, you know, he was he was potentially going to have to be in this starter role, so, and you know you know all, as well as starting at the high school level as well. So I think in terms of uh, the con- 
that quote unquote discomfort, it might just be um, in regards to that transition. But, you know, he's hand, like both of them have handled it beautifully with flying colors. But I think we're now getting to this point where, you know, I kind of, I'm on the same boat where it might be time for Starnbro to make that transition into the actual starter role, especially because, you know, as good as Sabori has been in the opener role and really setting the stage for Stottenborough, you know, once you start getting into these very high-pressure games, you're going to need that veteran experience out of the bullpen if, you know, if it's a two-run game, a one-run game, a tie game, if you need someone to get outs in these high-pressure situations, you know, you'd rather go to Sabori than any of these young freshmen. No disrespect to the young freshmen, but, you know, we have a track record. There is a precedent of Sabori being able to get outs in these high, uh, these high leverage situations. And, you know, with the freshmen, you know, we did see it a little bit with the BYU game, but, you know, we really haven't seen it over an extended period of time. So I'm going to be interested to see what New does uh, in regards to this Utah series. I wouldn't be shocked if he sticks to the Sabori Stottenboro combination. I wouldn't be shocked if he allows Stottenboro to pitch outright, especially considering now that I realize it, you know, Stottenboro started on Monday, so Friday might be kind of pushing the regular, you know, time of rest. And now I'm interested, now that I think about it, as to what they're going to do in regards to that. Well, yeah. well, Max, you wrote the Utah preview actually. So, what is there? Yeah. What are yeah. you sort of looking forward to in this? Utah series as well as you know the Utes as a whole yeah so quick plug you know that'll be coming out um, on dailycal.org sports section tomorrow morning shout um, out so y'all should check that out um, well I guess by the time this goes out it will be what today this morning everyone check it out on daily it'll be out it'll most be likely out. it'll be live um, I mean Utah's got some guys that can hit I mean they don't really like hit for power that much um it looks like the, the leader on their team has six homers. Uh, but they got some guys that can hit for average. Um, I think it'll be a good test for some young arms. Um, their pitching staff is is not that great, uh, which is fortunate for Cal because Cal has kind of made a living mashing against these teams that are near the bottom of college baseball and the Pac-12 um, pitching-wise. I think their ERA... Um, I checked this morning. I think their team ERA is about 232nd in the nation out of uh, just under 300 teams. Um, and the only two teams in the Pac-12 that are worse than that are Arizona and um, Washington State, who Cal's 5-1 and one against um, and just kind of, you know, lit up in the regular season. So I think that, you know, to, to what you guys were kind of talking about earlier, uh, really lends itself well for kind of tinkering a little bit, gives some other guys some opportunities, um, because hopefully Cal can put up some runs. Um, and I don't think that's too much of a hot take to say that Cal will put up some hot, some runs in this series. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see like who they kind of throw out there, you know, what they do with Stoutenborough guys, what they do with Horn um, in the event that you know maybe they have a big lead. Um, what what do they do with him innings wise? Um, but I think it'll be a good series. It's an important one for Cal. They got to take two or three of these to kind of stay afloat in the RPI rankings, kind of stay afloat in the at-large category, um, especially facing some tough competition in the to end the season. Yeah, I have not looked into too much of the specifics of the Utah team, but I have noticed that they've 
they've gone um, one in five in their last six games, um, which, you know, they've basically have fallen to every team you would expect. Um, you know, the, they've already had their Oregon State series. They've already had their Arizona State series and took one against them um, and then was completely swept by UCLA last weekend. One thing I did find interesting about their schedule was that they did have a win against BYU actually not too long ago, about a month ago. And so I think if, if anything, that is at least one indicator that they, Cal needs to take this at least a bit seriously because they only won against BYU just now 3-2. Um, and so I think if we're looking for significance in that, I think they're just going to have to, as much as they're going to try to be coming off of this week where they just played four games, haven't really had much rest time, just trying to do what they can to put together a, a win for the series, they're actually going to have to put some amount of effort into it. Oh, yeah. 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 And just looking at the numbers and where they rank in the Pac-12, you know, in regards to hitting, uh, Utah's 10th in batting average, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, runs and walks, uh, last in hits, last in home runs, uh, first in one category, and that's uh, strikeouts. <laughs> and then in regards to pitching, they're ninth in ERA with an ERA of 5.91, uh, last in strikeouts per nine inning. Uh, they've kind of had a little bit of a conundrum when it comes to trying to find uh, that third starter. They have uh, moved Joshua Tedeschi from uh, Sunday into the Saturday role. They've also uh, stuck with Riley Pierce in that Friday role the past couple weeks, but that third starter and who becomes that third starter has kind of been up in flux. So the way that I would approach it, you know, I don't, I don't know if New is going to approach it from this perspective, but, you know, the way that I see this series is... I think it's kind of akin to the Washington State series in terms of, you know, you're facing a, you know, a clearly inferior team when you look at it from a numbers and from a talent perspective. But what kind of sticks out for me from the Washington State series now that I'm looking back at some of the names is, you know, New didn't really have that much experimentation there at Washington State series despite these being some rather, you know, easy wins, you know. Uh, game one, you had Saborian and Stoughtonboro, so the typical combination that you'll see. Game two, Jared Horn goes eight innings, Sean Sullivan has the one inning. And then in that final game of the series, it wasn't, you know, the pitching wasn't quite as strong. But even at that, you still had Holman, Reyes, and Sabori. So that's what, six pitchers over a three-game period, despite them facing a you know, clearly inferior team, one that kind of the expectation was of a sweep. So I think I am going to be interested to see the way that new approaches it because, you know, you have to grapple with, you know, do you want to just, you know, no problems whatsoever, get the sweep and then move on and get out of the state of Utah? Or do you want to have, you know, this, do you want to experiment a little bit? And I think that's going to be something that new might have to, you know, grapple with to a certain extent. Or, he, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he went with just the traditional let's get our best guys out there, let's use the fewest amount of pitches possible, because they do also have the San Francisco State game next Tuesday as well, which can be an opportunity for that experimentation as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think one thing that's different about this Utah series is you didn't really have 
the innings concern with Horn. I mean, you wouldn't expect Horn to go eight, eight again, eight and a third, seven. Um, so you kind of have a different dynamic there. I think it's also, but I wouldn't be surprised to your point, Justice, that um, if it was kind of you know what we've seen, kind of vanilla um, throughout this series, because I do think you know Cal needs to Cal needs to win some games in this series, like hopefully for a sweep. But you know at the very least they need to take the series just for their postseason their postseason potential. I think that's priority number one for new um, at this point. But we'll see if there's a little bit of tinker, and I think that's an important facet that he has to consider too. Yeah, and I think if you look back in into the context of the Washington State series, right that weekend right before they had had a sweep of Long Beach State, um, and before that they were kind of coming off the two losses at Oregon State, and then that one kind of weird loss at Sacramento against Sacramento State. I can talk about that game for. <laughs> <laughs> and I think at that point. Maybe the, maybe the logic was we had had this really rocky time. Now we're finally kind of back on the horse after Long Beach State. Let's just try to not mess this up, you know, and just can do exactly what we did the weekend before because that clearly worked perfectly well the weekend before. And I think that a similar conclusion could be drawn about this past um, weekend where they went 3-1. and one. But I think that out of, I personally think that out of necessity, they're going to have to experiment a little bit because they know what is coming, what is coming up, what is down the road. Yeah. And, you know, you know if you do want to consider the context as well, you know, since that Sacramento State game, that game kind of, I was talking with New about it, and it really lit a fire under this team. And I believe since that game, they've you know, won 13 of their last 17. And you know, it is a, diff, a bit of a different context because heading into that Washington State series, they'd only won three straight. They weren't you know, projected to be a tournament team. But now you're looking at a position, you're, you're looking at them being you know, a pretty a solid addition to the tournament at this point in time. I remember two weeks ago, they were one of, they weren't the first four out, but they were the next four out. But now that, um, the last time that I checked, Baseball America had them in uh, East Carolina playing in you know that quartet and you know considering the context is a little bit differently this time around I can see new being you know doing the you know the managerial version of like a basketball heat check it's like you know we're kind of riding high you know we got the momentum going you know let's let's throw this you know let's throw someone out there that we haven't thrown out there in a while you know just really feeling himself you know riding high on the a streak of good, you know, good baseball and by extension good moves. But, you know, this is going to be something that I'm going to be monitoring throughout the series and I think we're all going to be is just what they decide to do or what new decides to do uh, in regards to the guys that he plays out there. Uh, we're currently at the 43 minute mark uh, getting up a bit uh, on the uh, cap that we have here. So, I think this is a good time where we can transition uh, into our players of the week. This is Something that we started a little bit in basketball that me and Rory kind of fell off a cliff with, but I think this is a you know just to keep us, you know, well more so to keep me like knowing like when the cap is and not going over, but also just to you know see who the best performers were over a given time. So, uh, Max, since this is your first time, I think it's only appropriate that you hit a little bit lead off here. Who are you going with for your player of the week? So I thought about a couple guys. It was pretty hard. Um, I wanted to pick someone who played in 
most of the games. Thought about Horn, good story. Decided not to go with him um, just because he pitched for one day. Um, so I went with Quentin Selma. I thought out of all of uh, the Bears' battery, he was kind of the most consistent. Uh, can't be understated how important his game-tying home run was. Um, I know Corey Lee's the one that gets the credit um, because he hit that the, the walk-off, but the game-tying one was just as important, if not more important than that. Um, overall, he was 8 for 18 with two home runs in the series, three RBI, and four runs scored. Um, so I'd say that's a pretty good weekend at the office. And what about you, Lucy? I mean, just because somebody has to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jared Horn is my player of the week. I think we've given him enough airtime in regards to um, talking, praising his stats. Um, I think one other thing I love about Horn is I met him for the first time on Saturday. It was uh. the first time I got quotes from him. And I talked to Joey, one of the other writers who's on the podcast sometimes, we'll about it after. And he was like, let me guess. He said... You know, I just keep confidence up on the mound, knowing that even if I give up a few runs, my offense will get a few hits to back me up. And I verbatim, that was the <laughs> quote I got from him. And I was like, oh, my God, how did you know? So apparently Horn says the same thing every single time. So now we don't even have to quote him anymore. We can just add his quote <laughs> in because we know exactly what he's going to say. Um, but I kind of love him for that. So, player of the week. It's consistency. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, he's, he's very on brand with the consistency. Uh, I went with a little bit of a, you know, I was also debating whether or not to go with Jared Horn as well. You know, you can go with some of the big bats, you know, Cameron Eden, Andrew Vaughn. But I'm going to, you know, we talk about him a lot, but we don't, you know, he, his shine is kind of in the context of Stottenborough. So, I'm going to go with Sabori. You know, game one, he pitches three innings, which is, you know, a bump up from the two that he typically pitches goes three innings on Friday, three strikeouts, and then, you know, he closes out this extended weekend with a save on BYU, by BYU, so, you know, he opens this extended weekend, closes the extended weekend, you know, goes full circle there. Uh, no earned runs and four innings of work, four strikeouts. Uh, I think he only allowed one hit, I believe. So, you know, a lot of great work from Sabori, and, you know, someone I'm going to keep my eye on just over these next couple of weekends to see what exactly his role is going to be going forward. Uh, that being said, episode number six. Next week, next week I hope we're, we got all four of us in here. I think it's going to be a fun one if we can get all four of us in here. That would be so fun. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. My first golden moment. Hopefully the, the first of many, especially if this team makes a little bit of a yes, run. Yes, yes, many more, several more. But until next time, Justice De Los Santos, Lucy Schaefer, making his podcast debut, Max Venemeyer. Not as not with us here physically, but in spirit, Jose Patron. Until next time, peace. <laughs>